0: Hi, I'm Christian. Hi, I'm Jim. Hi, I'm Dan. And this is the Football Musketeers. Welcome back to another week of the Football Musketeers. On this episode, we're joined by the one and only Matt Holland. So let's get straight into it. As a youngster when you were growing up, was football always your dream job? Or was there anything else that you wanted to be when you were older?
1: Uh, yeah, of course it was. I think like most like most young kids growing up, you um, well, I say that. Uh, obviously, football was a big thing. Um, some people wanted to be astronauts. Some some people had other aspirations. But for me, football was the only thing. Uh, I was I used to go and watch my dad play from a very early age. Stand on the touch line about the age of three, even with a ball at my feet and just just kick it up and down the touchline. So for me, football was the only thing. My first pair of football boots I remember I got for Christmas and slept in them for about a week. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, <laughs> f- f- football was my life, is my life and continues to be. What boots were they, Matt? I have no idea. Probably a p- <laughs> pair of those goaler ones or something, you know, that the old goalers. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I played in Adidas uh, World Cups through my career, um, but that first pair, I think, was a little pair of goalers. Nice.
0: The old school boots, love it. Was you, was you always a centre mid or did you start off anywhere else?
1: No, I was always, always a midfielder. Um, growing up Brian Robson was sort of someone that I everyone's got sort of a hero haven't they and I was a United fan so um, when Brian Robson signed for United he he became my hero if you like and I tried to emulate the way I played on him not, not saying I was anywhere near as good as Brian Robson but he was someone that I looked up to and thought yeah I'd like to be a bit like that
2: Matt just quickly I just thought of a question at the top you say you was a Man United fan when you go into the the world of professional football, do you kind of distance, you, distance yourself from that?
1: Yeah, you do. I mean, I'm more of a fan now than when of United and follow United um, than I did when I was playing. Uh, up until sort of 16 and, and joining West Ham, I was a, a massive, avid United fan. And, and probably since I've retired at 35, I've become a, a fan again. But while you're playing you're a fan of the team that you're playing for, really. Yeah. So, every time you come up against United, I wanted to beat them. I didn't have a very good record against them, ironically. <laughs> uh, I did beat them for Ipswich at home in the Cup. I remember Maurizio Torrico scoring a wonder goal uh, to beat them in the Cup, but never I never got a result at Old Trafford. I got a result at most places, but never got a result at Old Trafford.
0: Yeah, that's a good question, Jim. Um, moving forward into your career, Matt, um, you initially went on loan to Bournemouth uh, later later making that move permanent. How important do you think that that move was for your career back
1: then? Yeah, it was, it was massive because I, I, I was sort of knocking on the door with the first team at West Ham and I'd travelled with the first team for virtually a whole season, um, making up the numbers really and, and well being someone that made everyone a cup of tea on the bus really uh, on away trips, that was pretty much my job. Uh, but I was, sort of, I was sort of knocking on the door but Getting nowhere near it, and I was sort of fifth or sixth choice midfielder, uh, which Harry Redknapp was quite open and honest about. But I, I was playing reserve team football. I was actually captain of the reserves at the time. Um, but it, it, reserve team football was great to a, to a point, but I was getting to a stage where I needed to be, I don't know, playing for points that mattered you know, if you, if you win a reserve game, it doesn't really matter. If you if you lose a reserve game, it doesn't really matter. But when you're in a first team somewhere and the crowd are expectant and three points might take you out of the relegation zone or they might take you into the playoff picture or whatever it might be, all of a sudden those three points mean something. And, and I needed that. I needed to be playing first team football at, at that stage in my career. He actually, Harry did try and get me to sign at West Ham and sign another year. Uh, but he, as I say, he was very honest and said that I'd be fifth or sixth choice and I'd have to be, you know... Th- um, patient, waiting for a choice, chance to get into the first team and I just said, look, if the chance is there to go and play first team football on a regular basis, which it was at Bournemouth then I'd like to take that, so he was he was good about it and he was honest and let me go as well
2: Yeah, brilliant Yeah, the honesty is good um, So you, you moved to Ipswich and uh, you were remembered as being ever-present missing only one league match in the six years you spent there and I've got a stat here that you played 223 consecutive games.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. I think the, wow. f- I think the, f- I think the first game I got left out was, was crew away, which I was a bit gutted about because he, um, I actually travelled to crew as well in the hope that I'd be playing. Um, but, but he left me in the stand, George Burnley. So I was a bit gutted about that. The league game I missed actually was only because uh, I was on international duty. So yeah. it was um, at Gillingham and. Uh, we didn't have three players, I don't think, who, who were eligible uh, for international football, and so the game can st- carried on and they played against Gillingham. Whereas I was away with Ireland at the time, so that's the only time I, I actually missed one. And I, I think I'd gone a, a year or so without missing one at Bournemouth before I joined Ipswich as well. So I was, I was pretty lucky, really, in the fact that I played a lot of games without, without missing any.
2: Yeah, so it's pretty impressive. Is there, you know, you read all stuff about Ryan Giggs done a load of yoga and all the rest of it. Was there anything that you done specifically to keep yourself max <laughs> fit, as you like?
1: Sea water—that's what George Burley will tell you. Uh, when I, I, you know, you know what it's like when when you go through a season that you're very rarely fit. You've always got some sort of niggle that you might have. Um, and I had a few times when I probably shouldn't have played. Really I had a few knocks and bruises, particularly on my ankles, um, where. I was touch and go to play. George Burley's secret was to send me down to Brighton Sea, which was near where I lived. Well, about twenty minutes away from where I lived, and go and paddle in the sea for about an hour. He said the sea water heals you quicker, so that's that's the secret behind it. Um, George sending me sort of two or three afternoons a week when I was struggling down to the sea water to paddle for an hour.
2: <laughs> nice. Maybe after I try and play farthest side, I'll go down the sea. It's the it's the way forward. Might speed up the two week recovery process. <laughs> Every little helps. Yeah. Um l- looking through your list of achievements, and uh, a personal question for me really, because it's, it's something that I would rank very high. What was it like and where does it rank scoring at the World Cup?
1: Uh, it's difficult to beat that really. For yeah. you know, when you're growing up you have you have aspirations, you have ambitions. Uh I, being a United fan, United had quite a good record in cup competitions were struggling in the league really growing up uh, but they won the FA Cup in 83 and 85 and, and, and draw, you know that dream of lifting a trophy at, at Wembley was certainly omnipresent when I was growing up it was something that I wanted to do um, and that would you know we did. I, I managed to do that with Ipswich in the playoffs and so that's right up there and then scoring in a World Cup you want to play at the very highest level and the World Cup growing up as well I mean some of the tournaments are you know, grown up 82, 86, 90, just amazing. It's just an amazing festival of football, and to be able to play at that level was fantastic. But then to even you know to score as well, it's sort of like dreams dreams come true. Yeah, it was it was a pretty pretty good feeling.
0: Yeah, I can imagine. Is it one of them things when you look back and you think it doesn't feel like it was your memory sort of thing? Is it that sort of surrealness?
1: Well, it's difficult to put yourself back in that position. When that ball's mm. coming out and, and you, you're coming onto it and you strike it and it, it's difficult to sort of put because that moment's just gone and in, in a flash really uh, all, all the big moments in your career everyone's always says yeah you know, really take it in really enjoy the moment because it it goes so quickly like I remember when we played at Wembley with Ipswich everyone said um, this is a day that will you, you know it'll go, it'll be gone like that and so enjoy it. Well, I can't really remember it. It did. It went like that, and a bit the same in, mm. in that mo- in that moment. So it's nice to be able to look back on. it, It's nice to be able to watch it. You know the the goal, and and obviously show your kids and all that sort of stuff. But it, to turn take yourself back to that moment, it, it, it's almost. Uh, I've commentated on World Cups now for the last sort of three or four tournaments, um, and it, it sort of it. it it doesn't feel real, really, that I was actually once playing at that, at that level and, and playing in that tournament. So it's uh, yeah, it's difficult to put yourself in that position.
0: Yeah, I can imagine. I only imagine. Um, so then in 2003, you moved to Charlton, where you stayed for six years. How special was them six years at Charlton? Obviously, you had some great teams along the we, years.
1: We did. We had some good players as well. I mean, that first year was probably our best year. We We came pretty close really to, to get into the european competitions and at christmas we were very close i think we were in the top four scott parker played a massive part in that and uh, unfortunately he left in the january he went to chelsea uh, a big money move to chelsea and, and we we fell away a little bit we ended up seventh i think and but for a long time we were pushing and, and really challenging for european competition and we did have some good players and Klaus Jensen, someone that, that stands out. He was a terrific footballer. Di Canio joined us as well, so we had some re- really, really good technical footballers. And Scott Parker a big loss though when he went in the January.
0: Yeah, big big shoes to fill. Um, Alan Kirbishley,
2: I'm intrigued. What qualities do you think he brought to you know to make him so highly regarded in his time at Charlton?
1: Well, it's funny, actually, because he, um, he, he had a really good relationship with the, with the players. Um, but, he, but at the same time, he had a distance from us as well. He, I don't, I can't, it's difficult to describe, really. You, you, know, um, you sort of never felt close to him, and yet you did in, in some ways. Uh, right. So you, you you're always a little bit on edge with him. You were never quite sure if you positioned the team, and and so he had you, you know, he had you sort of um, in a position where you were you're never comfortable. I'd say and keep you on quite, your toes. Yeah, I think I think sometimes players can become too complacent, cut too comfortable. They know they're going to play every week. Um, whereas Curbs was someone that that I think did keep you on your toes a bit. And he had that distance between the players and yet and yet still approachable. He was still someone that, you know, you could go and knock on his door and you you could chat to him no problem at all. And and actually I've, I've done a lot of work with him in, in the media now since I've retired and he's he's much easier in the media than he was as a manager um to, to get along with. He's much more, much more relaxed as a as a person, really.
2: Right. Nice. Yeah, he is very highly regarded, isn't he?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a really, it's a really good. Man, I mean, a really good manager. And it, tactically, I thought he was very good. We did a lot. We did a lot on team shape. He did work heavily on the team shape of the, the side.
2: Yeah, and I suppose all the yeah, like the players you've mentioned. Um, what was the feeling for you personally, knowing that at the time you know you're playing in the Premier League and you're playing against some of the best footballers in the world? You know, week in, week out, that must.
1: It, I was always someone that that. Um, I mean, I know I hold my hands up. I was never the most technically gifted player that's ever walked the earth. Uh, I was someone that that worked incredibly hard to get to where I got to, but I enjoyed the challenge. I enjoyed the challenge of coming up against the best players, and, and the bigger the name, you know, the, the bigger the reputation, I, I I felt as though I rose to that as well, because I wanted to impre- impose myself on them as well, and, and them to come away and think, oh, I had a tough game today. He was he, probably better than I thought he was going to be so uh, the bigger the name and the bigger the the personality the the more I sort of really enjoyed I really enjoyed that challenge of coming up against the best players I think that's what you want to do if you you want to look back on your career and say yeah I played against him played against him played against him and and so um, I was lucky to play and and in that era there were some unbelievable players as well you can think Gerard Lampard Vieira um, Keane Skulls, Crikey! I mean, at Essien at Chelsea. So many, so many good, good footballers to come up against. It was, a, it was a really good experience.
2: Who would, of all those names, there's a few names you mentioned there. Who would you say was your toughest battle? Does one stand out?
1: Well, I mean, I, I, I know Roy Keane was always a, t- a tough, a tough one. I mean, I, you know, played with him for Ireland and, and you know, up against him that midfield for United at that time. I think it was Beckham on the right, Giggs on the left, and Keane and Skulls in central midfield, and you had Nicky Butt to back that up as well. I mean, it was <laughs> it, it was ridiculous, really. It, it really was. It, honestly, that was that was as good a good a midfield four as you, you're going to get.
2: It's pretty impressive, isn't it?
1: Well, it's a bit of they've got a bit of everything. That's the thing. You know, they've got they've all got energy. They, they can all get up and down the pitch. You've got Skulls who, who breaks off, he gets into the box. You've got Keane who always seems to have time on the ball. Um... Giggs Beckham's delivery, Giggs's goals—they they had a bit of everything as well. Yeah, quality
0: speaks for itself. It? Uh, so yeah, moving towards obviously your decision to retire from the game, how did you find that? Was it was it as hard as some other players have said? Uh,
1: uh, the first year, I think, was the most difficult I've had. Uh, because I, I mean, I missed I missed the the dressing room, I missed the everyday chit chat, laugh, jokes. Uh, training. I miss the uh, the routine, I guess, of of being a footballer. Uh, but I also miss the match day as well because I always I always enjoyed the match day experience. You know, it's, yes, it's it can be nerve wracking, and, and yes, there's pressure, but, but um, it, it, that for me was payday. You know, you you work you work all week, and all the training is in a build up in preparation for a game on a Saturday, and that day I. It's difficult to replicate that that experience of walking out and the crowd and and the noise and the atmosphere. So I I really missed the routine of being a footballer, but I also missed that match day experience. And that first year I found really difficult. I found myself uh, I joined a gym and I went to the gym every single day for a year. I was just just to have that routine, I guess. Um, I don't I don't go every day now, but uh, I, I did I did for that I did for that first year.
0: Uh, fair enough.
2: I suppose that applies to anything don't it you talk about routine if any change you know if your life's been a certain way for so long
1: I'm not gonna I'm certainly not going to compare it to, to being in the army but if, if you if you see what I mean by you know the army and, and I think you know some of the struggles that that um, people who've served the country have when they've come out and I know they've seen an awful lot worse than we have but they're used to that routine and being with their their you know, mates, if you like, they get so close and it's a bit like that being a footballer as well and all of a sudden that's taken away and it can be difficult but don't get me wrong, I'm not comparing footballers to, to people in the army.
2: Yeah, it's just the routine level, isn't
1: it? Yeah. Um,
0: does it, or has it helped uh, with you being still involved in the game now just from a completely different angle?
1: Definitely, definitely. I mean, I still get that buzz, you know, that uh, mm. that walk up to a stadium that, you know, the the smell of the burgers, the um, the noise as you're approaching the the ground, uh, the buzz around the place. So I still get that feeling that that the all oh, right, here we go, it's match day. And, and you know, when I'm commentating on a game, I still get I'm still like a child in a sweet shop, really thinking, here we go again. It's because because no no two games are the same. I know you might get the same results, but there's always something different that happens in a match. So it's it's still a massive buzz every time I go to a game.
0: Yeah, is there a, it's a saying about commentating on the games? Is there a team when you get given a game and you look and you think, "Oh, this is going to be a good one." Is there a team that like you know is going to be an exciting match?
1: Uh, I, that's a good question. I, I don't know really. I, I mean, I I, I, I don't, I don't mind really. Is, is the honest answer who, who I'm commentating yeah. on because it, I, every game's different and. Um, when you've got two teams that that are open and you know that their managers want to play forward-thinking football, uh, that's that always obviously makes it more entertaining. Rather than a team that you know is going to go and and sit in and make it more difficult and be a bit defensive, I'd rather you know I I personally would rather see two teams going for it. And I understand it's not always the case and it, and it can't always be the case because you know technically some play some clubs are, are not quite at the same level as others and they have to play a certain way. Uh, but I much prefer it when there's there's two teams that are open and and play attractive football. Yeah,
2: yeah it's Much easier on the eye. Yeah. Um, so with your world well, now being in punditry, is that is that your plan going forward? Is there anything? Have you got any aspirations to go into management or coaching or?
1: Uh, I think I think there was a moment in. in where I thought I might but to be honest I think now I've been at the game nearly 11 years that it's, it's highly unlikely that that's going to be the case now Uh not, not never rule it out and never say never but I think that's unlikely uh, I always I always say and relate the media to being a footballer as well because when you're a footballer you know you, you start out with 20 years of age and you think it's going to last forever. And all of a sudden you're 34, 35, you're coming to the end. There's a load of young kids who are coming up and pushing you over the edge and eventually you have to retire. And the media is a bit the same, really. You know, I've been doing it 11 years now and I'm sort of, you know, plodding along, doing what I'm doing. And But there's always people retiring who want to go into it as well. Some fresher voices, fresher names. You know, we've seen in recent years Rio Ferdinand do it, um, uh, you know, Peter Crouch, people now, Joe Cole, people who are just finishing and coming out the game and going into it. So at some point, I'm going to be a bit like a footballer. I'm going to be over the edge and and gone again. But try and cling on as long as possible and try and do it as long as possible because it's something I absolutely love.
2: Just enjoy it, yeah. Um, One last question. If you could give kids dreaming of making it as a professional footballer any advice that served you well in your career, what would it be?
1: Um... It, if you can, if you can look in the mirror and say that you've given absolutely everything that you possibly can to be a footballer, and, and it doesn't work out, then that's all you can do. You know, I think everyone everyone wants to do it. There's there's no guarantees. It doesn't matter how talented you are. Um, but I think if you work incredibly hard, or the hardest you can possibly do, and you look at yourself in the mirror and say, "I've given it everything I possibly can to get to that point." then I think you can look back with satisfaction. Um, so I would say work hard. That is, the, that is the bottom line. Never give up as well, because uh, this is something that I always say to, to young kids. You know, at the end of the day, if someone says you're not quite good enough or you, you, you're you not you're not really suitable to my team, it's only one person's opinion. You know, they, they might not fancy you, they might not think you're this, but you might go somewhere else and you might be that person's, you know, cup of tea. And so... You know, don't be disheartened if someone says you're not quite good enough. Do you know what? Go and prove them wrong. Go somewhere else and say, I'll show you I'm good enough. And the other, someone else who might look at you and go, actually, yeah, I quite like what he does. He's a good player. So, yeah, don't be disheartened if you get a, a, a knockback at some stage.
2: Yeah, persevere.
0: I like it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Brilliant.
0: It's going to be higher or lower, club career goals. Yeah. Uh, start you, Matt. And, Gonna have 79 goals for you. Yeah. Did Dan Ambrose score more or less?
1: Down Ambrose? Yes. Did, um, you know, he got quite a lot actually, but he didn't play as many games as me. Um, and he's he retired early as well because he was he was about 31, 32 when he retired. Mm. I'm gonna say less.
0: Yep, yeah, less 65. So, Jim, you got sixty five to work with, yeah. Um did Francis Jeffers score more or less? Oh,
1: Was it Arsenal, Everton? Did he, go to, did he go lower league At like Accrington? He, he played at Charlton with me. Oh, yeah, Charlton.
0: 65. I'm going to go more. It's less. 40. No.
1: I'd yeah, I don't have more as well. Maybe good effort though. Yeah. <laughs> Bit of I'm your numbers. <laughs> yeah, checking.
0: Check <laughs> It'll all be validated afterwards. Yeah. So you got 40. um yeah. did Danny Murphy get more or less? Oh,
1: more.
0: Yeah, it's just 80. Yeah. Cool. So back to you, Jim. You got 80. Did Jamal Campbell Rice get more or less? I've got to say less. Correct. 41. So you got 41. Did Andy Reid get more or less, Matt?
1: Oh, he was very creative, Andy. Uh, mm. Did he score that many goals? I- I'm going to say he did. I'm going to say he got more.
0: Yep, 52. Yeah, he loves a free kick, did not he?
1: Yeah. Great player. <laughs> he was a good player, yeah. 52. But-
0: you got fifty-two. Next one um, is goals to date because he's still playing. John Joe Shelby. Wow.
2: So he loves a free kick. Does he take penalties? No. I don't oh. know. Not at the moment. He's in and out. He's been in and out of the side though, hasn't he?
0: Over the years. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. Uh... <laughs> Less. Yep, 37. Yeah, more of a provider, I think. But but the next one's a bit tricky. So 37, more or less, for Lloyd Sam.
1: Oh, God. Um, Lloyd Sam, he's still playing out in America, you know. Mm. Um, He played against my son. He played against my son last year or the year before. Uh, My son's at uni out there. And then one of the pre season friend one of the preseason friendlies he had was against Lloyd Sam's team. And they beat wow. they beat my son's Judy 5 0, I think. Um it's um Lloyd Sam. Yeah, I think he did. Uh, 37, did <laughs> you say? Yes, 37. Oh, that is close. I'm gonna say less. Um
0: this is really, really tough one. It was more with forty. Forty, good effort. Yeah, very, very close. Um, Cox cool. are so back to you, Jim. This to tie it up. Um, Lloyd Sam with 40 did or has, if he's still playing as well. Scott Wagstaff scored more or less. More, less
1: 30.
0: No. Oh, I'd have had more, I'd have had more as well there. Yeah, that was my chance. <laughs> this to win it. So you've got Scott Wagstaff with 30. Has yeah. Harry Arthur scored more or less?
1: Harry Arter, crikey. Are we we counting his goals for Welling as well or not?
0: All clubs are included. When he
1: was playing playing non league or is it has to be league goals?
0: Oh, God. That's a good question. Have
1: you you included his goals at Welling or not? Let's have a little look. I can't remember where I've. He's only a one or two a season, man, isn't
0: he? So. So we've got goals included from Woking, Bournemouth,
1: Carlisle... Woking, that's what I meant, Woking, yeah, Woking. Woking, Bournemouth, Carlisle, did you say? And Fulham. Fulham. Cardiff, Cardiff, you mean, don't you? Yeah, yeah. Cool, that is really tough as well. I'm going to say less. It was more, 35. 35. So it's... 3-2
0: to Matt. Jim, you need this to take it to a tiebreaker. I feel
2: nervous. 35.
0: (laughs) You've got 35 goals. Has Keith Gillespie scored more or less? Wow. I'm going to say more. More goals than 35?
1: Yeah. It was
0: 31, unfortunately.
1: Oh, I'd, have had, I'd have had more as well. I <laughs> can't okay. oh, believe it. It's 3-2 to Matt. Fair play, yeah, Matt.
0: Very yeah, well, that was a good All game. That
1: was, that was tough. Really tough.
0: Was, yeah, very tough. Well, glad I wasn't playing. <laughs> 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 so, what was the best part of being a footballer?
1: Match day, match day. Simple as that. I've already said. I mean, I've already said that. That was the, that was the best part of being a footballer. Um, when you when you win a game and you and you score and and the crowd are up, that you can't beat that match day experience. Yeah.
2: Well, weirdest pre match ritual you've ever witnessed?
1: That I've ever witnessed, or um.
2: Or do you know about?
1: Jason Cundy used to sort of headbutt the wall a bit. He used to get himself he used to get himself psyched up in in strange ways. He'd sort of slap people around the faces and headbutt the wall just to get himself going. You um, could tell he wasn't a player of finesse. He was he was someone that, that just got himself up for it. So yeah, he, he used to do some strange things trying to get himself up for a game.
2: Did anyone ever
0: slap him back?
1: I didn't. Not, <laughs> not, not when he was not when he was like that. <laughs>
0: Yeah, don't blame me. Um,
1: who was the funniest player you ever played with? Funniest player, Ben Thatcher. Uh, okay, he was absolutely brilliant. Honestly, when he, when he signed for, when he signed for the club, I was a bit reticent. I was a bit nervous. I, you know, he, he he'd had obviously a few incidents in his career, um, and he and he signed for Charlton, and I was a bit like, "Oh, Ben Thatcher's coming." Well, he, he couldn't have been nicer, and he couldn't have been better for the dressing room. And some of the things—I mean, some of the things—I I just can't really repeat. You know what he got up to, but it, in terms of the, <laughs> the, the camaraderie and the laugh in the dressing room, he was—he was a brilliant character. He was—he was without doubt the funniest.
0: Cool. You can tell us after.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> I think we've already touched on this one, but we got toughest player you ever played against.
1: Already... Uh, well, obviously. You know, I, I think Keane. Keane was always a, someone that I, I looked up to and and found you know, tough to play against. Um, internationally, I was fortunate played against some really good players, the likes of Figo and Rui Costa and Zidane and people like that. So there was some some unbelievable players. Lucky, really, that, that I can look back and think, "Wow, played against him, played against him." It was yeah, pretty special. Um. We've got next, I've got who is
0: currently the best player in the world, but I'm going to change that a little bit and say, who do you most enjoy watching at the moment in the world?
1: Who do I enjoy watching? Um, I think it's difficult to go against Ronaldo or Messi, isn't it? I mean, those two have been unbelievable for so many years, the consistency, the quality. I think we're looking now at who's going to be the next Ronaldo and Messi, really. I think that's that's where we're at. I like Mbappe. I mean, Mbappe's something special, a real a real talent, um, and he's got the potential to to push them all the way. Uh, so maybe I'd I'd say him, but um, yeah, for, for consistency and longevity, Messi, and Ronaldo have been ridiculous.
2: Yeah, different. Very level. lucky. Very lucky to see him.
1: Aren't we? Oh, oh Friday.
2: Toughest away day in your playing career.
1: Toughest to way. Well, I said earlier, never got a result at Old Trafford. Went there so many times and, and it was a standard 2 0, 3 0, 4 0. Honestly, I, I got the odd draw at home, beat him in the cup for Ipswich. Um, but with Charlton and Ipswich, every time I went to Old Trafford, standard. 2-0 even sometimes we'd, look, we'd got in the dressing room and we'd look at their team and Ferguson's made about seven changes he's resting a few players and you think you might have a chance today might have a chance today 2-0 <laughs> 3-0 yeah get back on the bus honestly frightening I never never ever got a result there
0: yeah it's a scary team there um, who would you say uh, was the most talented player you played alongside
1: uh, probably Di Canio I would say, technical ability was ridiculous. Some of the things he did in training, some of the goals he scored in training. uh, I mean, he could be a handful, uh, but he was was a brilliant trainer. Worked incredibly hard, and some of the some of the goals he scored in training. uh, When when a when a team stop and applaud him for what he's just done in training, you know he's good.
2: Did he ever recreate anything like the scissor kick
1: volley in training? Yeah, he did a few of those. He did. He, he, honestly. He, he tried. He tried things. That's the thing. He wasn't afraid to just you know do something different to everyone else. You, know, you think it's a simple finish, and you, you, anyone else would just try and side-foot it. He'd try and do something ridiculous and um, and make it look easy. So yeah, often we we just stopped and applauded him and said, "Yeah, that's brilliant. It's class." <laughs> right.
2: If you could play under any current manager, who would you choose?
1: I think I'd choose Pep because. Uh, I know, I know. Klopp, I think Klopp's brilliant. Actually, I, it's difficult between those two. There's a relentlessness about Pep Guardiola to improve and get better all the time. It's so intense. I think I'd quite enjoy that. The fact that he's so determined to to, um, to to get the best out of players and improve you as an individual. I think I'd really enjoy that. But I, having said that, I think Klopp's a brilliant coach, brilliant manager. Love listening to him as well. So one of those two, but maybe maybe just Pep because of his relentlessness.
0: Yeah, strong shout that. Um, promoted as champions or playoff winner?
1: Well, we, good question because obviously I did, I did that playoff. If you if you can, I always say if you can guarantee going up through the playoffs, and so you're saying that's a definite. Then it's a great day yeah. to go to Wembley, have all the experience, the you know the the fans and the noise and all that of it. That's great. Um, but there isn't a guarantee. I was in the playoffs three or four years, and it took us a while to get, you know, to get promoted. So, if if you've already done it as champions, I think it makes it a bit less stressful. But if you can guarantee getting up through the playoffs, what a day that is!
0: Yeah, I was going to say, from a fan's perspective, I've been on both sides. I'm a Jules fan, so
1: right
0: the year of Man City followed by Wigan, so it's a bit of a yeah. I like can understand the two different contrasts there.
1: Cool. Yeah, just a bit. <laughs>
2: Um, for all of your career, what was the best ground you played at? Best ground?
1: Ooh. Um, I loved the Amsterdam Arena. Okay. It was, I don't know why, just a, an amazing ground. It was just, when I walked out, it was just like, whoa, this is this is something special. Um, yeah, I don't know why. It's just one that sticks in my mind as a, as a great ground. I played at, obviously, bigger grounds and um, you know, bigger crowds but that one there, was it was something special, yeah, something special about that ground
0: Cool, and to finish off the quick fires, would you prefer a last minute penalty to win or a hat-trick?
1: Oh, hat-trick <laughs> hat-trick, never got one ne- uh, well, got plenty as a kid um, and I reckon i probably got a- about 10 braces maybe eight to 10 braces in games, but never got a hat trick. So definitely a hat trick.
0: Yeah, no, that's fair. Brilliant. Thank you again. Matt. That was really, really good to chat.
1: No pleasure. No problem at all.
2: Right then guys, that wraps up another week's episode of the football musketeers. This week's special guest, massive thanks to Matt Holland. Really enjoyed the the chat, have a listen. Let us know what you think. Share away. Cheers.